Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives Podcast. My name is Ben Craven and today I'm joined by my colleagues Oliver Hartwich, Matt Burgess and Eric Crampton. We're here today to talk about the government's uh, announced reforms on three waters. Um, Matt, can you give us a bit of an overview of what's been announced today? So the government uh, has announced that it is going to go ahead with its three waters reform. So the basic idea is that back in June, the government announced its plan for reforms of the three waters. It wants to set up four national entities operating in four different parts of the country. Those entities will take over control and ownership of water infrastructure assets that are currently in the hands of 67 councils. Those entities will be charged with all kinds of things, clean, healthy water, efficiency, looking after certain interest groups and so on. Councils, since the uh, reforms were announced in June, have almost uniformly come out opposed. So the government was forced to make a decision about whether to uh, back off and go back to the drawing board or to force the reforms through on the back of its parliamentary majority. Today we learned that the government has decided to force the reforms through over the heads of councils. So it's a big announcement. It's possibly one of the most significant uh, in terms of central local government relations in the country's history. We're talking $50 billion worth of assets. The government is going to take those assets without compensation. That's what's proposed. Councils are understandably up in arms. There's an awful lot of water to go under the bridge on this one uh, over the next few months. So is it safe to say that's a a massive asset grave on behalf of central government? It's exactly what it is. Uh, And by the way, it's not going to solve the most pressing problem of all, which is uh, water's role in our housing crisis. Right, so what's the catalyst for this? Why is the government choosing to do this if it's so unpopular? Well, this all goes back a long ways, right? So if you'll remember the Havelock North um, water quality issues, now That has been pointed to as one of the reasons that you need to have government coming in and taking ownership of all of this to ensure better water quality across the country. People keep forgetting to mention that the Ministry of Health was actually the regulator of water quality at Havelock North and that they kind of bunged that up. Um, So I'm not quite sure that uh, a different form of centralization solves that problem. But the government is right that there are huge problems in the three waters. So they're correct that there's a problem that needs to be solved. We're not quite sure that they've got the right solution here, though. I think we might have a better one. But if we go through the litany of it, like if you live in Wellington, you see the burst water pipes all the time and the sewage that occasionally comes out in the streets. Councils, at least some of them, have used money that should have been put towards uh, maintaining depreciating assets. Instead, they put them to flashy things, new convention centers, things that mayors and councillors can cut ribbons for and forgot about the water pipes until they cause a big crisis. Central government sees this dynamic where local councils too often let the pipes fall to pieces, then expect the central government bailout, and then a couple decades later come back calling for another bailout again, and they're wanting to avoid this continuing to happen. Now, unfortunately, they're looking to an amalgamation model that really can't deliver the kinds of benefits that they're touting. You're just not going to get economies of scale in the back-end systems for water that are going to save you the tens or hundreds of millions of dollars that they're looking at in uh, proposed efficiencies here. They're right that there's a big problem in council maintenance of their assets in some councils. They're especially going to be right that there are huge problems in getting enough infrastructure out to support urban growth and that this is a major bottleneck. I'll let Matt uh, go loose on that one rather than me getting into it too much. The solution here, though, isn't really going to be fixing the problem. And you can see why they've come to some of these bit, bits of the solution and why they're causing these problems. So 
the councils are screaming about governance here and that they're not really going to be owners of this. They've got no governance role in it. But the new water entities aren't going to be able to issue debt to support new development if there is potential recourse to councils to bail them out if anything goes wrong, because then that puts it all back on council's main balance sheet and we're back into the same problem that we've had in being able to issue debt to support growth. That has been one of the constraints that they've been trying to design around. How do you set a governance structure that still keeps some role for councils while keeping it sufficiently separated that there's no bailout risk? And that's one of the things that they're trying to balance in here. We have to talk a bit about process and the politics as well. Because um, I attended the local government conference uh, in Blenheim in July this year, and of all the LGNZ conferences I've, I've attended over the years, this was the one with the tensest atmosphere, because it was palpable how much the sector is divided. Some councils were happy to go along with the government, but the majority were absolutely opposed. And the question to the minister at the time was, will you enforce this? Will you force it upon us? against the wish of the majority of councils and the government basically just said, oh, well, let's see, we'll, we'll negotiate in good faith and we'll talk. They didn't rule it out and it was quite clear actually, if councils don't go along, the government will just mandate it anyway and this is actually what happened today. But still, the opposition to all of this on the local government level is substantial because some councils, especially those that actually manage their water assets relatively well, they feel cheated because they invested in their water infrastructure for decades. This is often the biggest position on council's balance sheets and is now being taken away with practically no compensation. At the conference I mentioned, the minister, uh, Nanaya Mahuta, turned up and actually gave a little sweetener. She promised, I think it was about one and a half billion dollars of compensation, you know, few million dollars here and there for councils. But the thing is actually, as Matt said, this is worth at least $50 billion dollars in infrastructure that's now being taken away from councils and then given to a different type of body where the councils are nominally still owners, at least that's what the government says, but practically totally out of it. And actually, if you look at the structure the government proposes with four entities now, the way the supposed owners of water infrastructure, the councils are now removed from decision-making, it is ludicrous because, yes, they might own it, but they will only nominate half the people on um, committees that will then appoint a selection committee and they will then appoint management. So if you really want to maximize the distance between the supposed owners and the actual management of these new assets, it couldn't be bigger. Well, this is part of an ongoing centralization push from government, right? So when this was starting, the conversation also started about, well, what the heck is going to be the point of local councils once government takes away their one big job, right? So especially for a lot of smaller councils, they're able to leverage off of the employment that they have to have to manage a water asset, to be able to deliver some other services like back-end accounting and all these other kinds of economies of, of scale that the government is thinking about in amalgamating these into a single entity. Well, councils are already enjoying some of those and getting services across different sectors within their local council, especially the smaller ones. So that also then, I think, was impetus for the future of local government reforms that are coming through where they're trying to wrestle with, well, if we've gutted councils, we've taken away their water, and if we've got a resource management process that is pulling a whole pile of the planning powers up to regional government and taking them away from local councils, well, what's really left for local government? So yeah, there's a lot going on here. Right, so we've got a fair idea of uh, what's happening now. Who, who are the sides? Who's pushing for it? Uh, who's welcomed it um, and who's been staunchly opposed to it? Staunchly opposed are some councils because they can see how much of their asset base will disappear. Um, and just to put a number on that, uh, 
media reports 60 out of 67 councils were opposed at least before today's announcement. Wow. Interestingly, um, the uh, professional bodies, I mean, local government New Zealand and infrastructure New Zealand, they were not entirely happy about it. I mean, local government New Zealand wasn't, except saying, well, they're happy to work with the government on making it work a little bit better than the original proposals. So LGNZ plays a really interesting and sometimes weird role in all of this. The majority of the members are deadly opposed to these reforms, and yet LGNZ is now almost playing the role of a translator of for the government, actually translating the government's wishes to their own members rather than actually representing the members to the government. So that's a bit interesting. Infrastructure New Zealand welcomed it. I'm not entirely sure why, but I guess that Infrastructure NZ probably expects that they need to deal with the government in some way, so they don't want to completely fall out with them. But altogether, I think the response was relatively negative and actually opinion polls. Um, if you look at one that the Taxpayers Union commissioned um, a few weeks ago, the majority of New Zealanders are opposed. I think 56% were actually opposed in a particular poll. So I think this issue is big enough that it could end up being the other issue that defines this government, uh, besides the obvious one. Uh, I really think my sense is the government has... has in danger of starting a war with today's announcement, actually. Wow. And they know it, uh, and that's why in the COVID bill a few weeks ago, they gave themselves the power to even delay next year's local government election by up to a year, because they could probably see what a kind of war they are about to start. Yeah, so the government's got its majority in Parliament, uh, but it's one thing to have a majority and get the legislation passed. It's quite another to persuade communities and councils that this is a good idea, and another thing, again, to make it stick after the next election or the one after. And actually, on that um, point, how to make it stick, both major opposition parties, National and Act, have already announced that they would repeal it if they win the next election. So again, how can you introduce such a big reform if there is a substantial risk that it will just be repealed after the next election? So is it safe to say, um, although there's sort of a, a left-right split in Parliament, this isn't really a left-right issue out in the wider public? I know, it's more everybody sees that councils have been occasionally not doing the best job in getting keeping their pipes up to spec or in extending pipes to be able to support new development. The housing crisis is in large part an infrastructure financing and council incentives problem, but that's manifesting through not being able to get the pipes out that are necessary to facilitate growth. And it's just weird, right, because you never hear of like electricity being the hang up for getting a new subdivision in or for getting a new apartment tower up or not being able to get the fiber optic cable out. I think Matt had pointed that out in a previous conversation, that those are never the handouts, hang-ups. I think people are seeing that. It's not really a left-right thing. It's a central versus local, but there are better ways of handling this. I think it'll be interesting to hear from Oliver here because uh, for us, water infrastructure is a major bottleneck. It is the constraint more often than anything else. It seems to be the thing that's driving council behaviour and stopping you from building a house. New Zealand seems just about unique in that respect. My understanding is you talk to people in other countries, the idea that water might be the thing that stops you from building a house haven't, hadn't even occurred to them. You know, the same for us with electricity or telco, right? It just does, it's just not the thing that ever stops you. And, and why should it? It's a tiny fraction of the cost of, of building a house. But that's the story we have. It's not like that in Germany, is it, Oliver? No, definitely not. Um, actually, I, n I never really thought about water policy in Germany, and I never, I cannot recall a single incident where there was a big national discussion on water. It simply doesn't happen. The water turns up, the pipes turn up. It's a non-political issue. It's somehow managed. And actually, when 
the whole three water story um, started to happen here, I was actually wondering, so how did Germany actually handle this? Because I never thought of it. It was just something that was almost automatic. You know, water flows, just, and, and it appears, it turns up. So I think we need to find a system where we depoliticize the whole thing and where, as you say, water becomes something that is almost as automatic as you know, getting electricity or ensuring that you can open a, um, a contract and, and get a telephone connection, something like that. So I think that's the model that we have in mind in terms of what should be going on here. Let's just break this into two pieces. The government is operating on the wrong model. It's trying to solve the wrong problem. Uh, it's using evidence that looks, um, frankly, wrong, actually. Uh, it keeps citing numbers around cost savings for households, uh, number of jobs created, GDP impact, that frankly look implausible. Pipes just aren't that expensive. Economies of scale effectively don't uh, exist at any real level in the public sector. You just can't build enough pipes to get um, all the way from $9,000 cost uh, at small scale. You can't, you just, economies of scale just don't get you all the way down to, to, to $1,000 or less. It'll get you a few dollars, but not much more. So the government is pushing an economies of scale story when the problem is not the cost, out-of-pocket cost per week for water, it's the lack of scalability. It's the fact that councils run out of money if the city grows too fast. That's the problem to solve. We want to move from a world where water infrastructure is competing for funding to grow um, and to maintain existing pipes with other council services. We want to get from that world where we're at currently to the world where the pipes just turn up. And the way the pipes, two things have to happen to get to that world. One is that you're, price, you're recovering the cost of those pipes from the sale of water services, and that means those services have to be priced at a commercial rate, and that means you cover your costs, including your cost of capital, same as we do for airports, lines, transpower, commercial pricing. We don't have that with water at the moment, and that's plausibly why we have an infrastructure deficit and why councils run out of money. The other thing that has to happen is that the borrowing to fund the construction of those pipes in the first place has to come out from under the council debt limit. So councils can continue to own pipes, but those pipes have to be operated on a commercial basis, they have to be independent from the politics, and they have to be able to borrow outside, um, on their own terms, outside the council debt cap. So those three things come into play, and then you get to a world where the pipes turn up for anybody who's willing to pay. And then for council, they still own the pipes, they get a dividend from their pipes division, their water division, every year. Quite a healthy one, actually, and that means you can cut rates. Overall rates plus water doesn't have to go up. You just get a rebalancing. Uh, and you connect the allocation of capital, the investment of capital, to willingness to pay. So ultimately, it's the customer who's paying, not the rate payer or implicitly the taxpayer, which is what we've got with this huge hundred-plus-billion-dollar infrastructure deficit. Someone's going to have to pay that. So that has to stop. And the way to stop that is to get pipes operating on the same basis as electricity lines, transpower, airports, gas pipes, on a commercial basis. That's the problem to solve. And that's the thing. It's not an ownership issue. The government sees this as an ownership issue and an economies of scale issue. Uh, it's not ownership. It's get the pricing right and free up uh, borrowing so that these council-owned water divisions uh, can borrow uh, as much as they need to 
to um, sell water services to whoever's willing to pay. And That's actually, that for, for all of that to happen, it might be desirable to take some private owners into the mix. So a lot of German cities, for example, have um, uh, waterworks, 90% owned by the council and 10% owned by private investors. And the 10% private investors are probably enough to exert some commercial discipline and make sure that the companies are run properly. I think it's worse than that, Oliver. I think that some of the mess that we're in is the government trying to set a structure to avoid that ever happening. They're just so terrified of the idea that councils might sell off some of their water asset that they're trying to structure it so that it'd be impossible to do that. But that also means that they're structuring it in a way that just won't be able to deliver what's necessary. Like you could just put in a line saying councils are forbidden from selling to a private owner if that is your big deal, right? Like I don't think it helps anything. I think it might hurt but it's better than having a munged, broken structure for dealing with all of this. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that the government wants to do. And actually, uh, the minister explained to councils at that said conference um, that that was one of the provisions she would put into the legislation, that these four new water bodies would never be able to be privatized. Never mind, of course, that you cannot bind a future parliament. You can always get around it if you want to. But that was one of the biggest selling points that the government actually made. But that, I mean, just 5 or 10% private shareholding does a couple of things. One, it brings in commercial disciplines. Suddenly you just have these constraints where you've got private shareholders who will sue you or sue the government. Um, if you if you do arbitrary, the sorts of arbitrary things that I think we're going to see from these entities just because they're not subject to those disciplines. And the other thing is that because you have private owners, just a small share of private ownership, it's a, just a bulwark against government taking or arbitrary, um, you know, political, the exercise of political judgments. They're just commercial, at least partly commercial entities. It creates real reputational risk for any future government that wants to try and use these powerful new entities to... Um, to do other things, which I think is going to happen if the government pushes through with its um, its plan. Just a, a flavour of private ownership would just bring so much value, which I think is what they've done in Germany, right? Seven or eight percent. Some of them. Yeah. Not all councils are the same. There are various ownership structures and models uh, for different councils in different states, but some of them do that. But I think, look, the key, I think that would help, but the key thing is not ownership. These entities can stay with councils 100%, never be privatised, the key thing is that they're managed in a way, they're put on a commercial footing and managed in a way that's independent of the politics and are properly funded by um, the sale of services as opposed to having to beg, steal and borrow and compete with council budgets for funding libraries and pools and so on. That's just the wrong model. And so it means we do need different accountability and different governments and quite the opposite of what the government's proposing. We just want the same structure that Transpower has. Transpower mm -hmm. is 100% government-owned. It's a monopoly. Uh, and it's independent from government, and it makes its money on a commercial basis just by selling at cost plus, and that's and, all they do. And, and it has a proper board. And it has a proper board, and it works, and you can forget about it. No, no. one's arguing, oh, there's, no, there's no politics around transparent. Well, there is and there isn't, right? A lot less than water. It might be a little more like the local lines company, though, right? Yeah, and who, I mean, who, you know, yeah, I know there's some arguments over lines, but not much, right? Yeah. Because... It just works. Oh, yeah, you know? Put a rate of return regulation on, yeah. it's all done. So no one's, no one's getting ripped off, um, the lights stay on, you can forget about it. Let's just get to that world with water, it's and not it's, that hard. And it solves so many other problems too, right? So I, in the past week there was a joint announcement from Labour and National about allowing a lot more upzoning in town, and we support that, but we also support being able to have a lot more greenfield expansion because if you don't anchor urban land prices and bare paddock plus infrastructure cost at the edges of town, things can get unhinged. We want everything that enables more housing. But one of the arguments that you keep getting against greenfield development is that, oh, well, it's just so much more costly for the infrastructure to roll it out. Well, just put it on a commercial basis. 
if people are willing to pay for it and they're covering the cost, why should anybody say no? Yeah, so I, I really, I totally get, obviously get the politics get awkward when you're trying to raise charges for water on existing homeowners. I don't get it for new homeowners. You know, you're building new pipes with new connections. You just tell the people in advance, we're going to be charging you $1,000 more a year than previously. Um, take it or leave it. They're going to take it because it's, it's, it's a bargain because compared to the value you're getting from building housing, um, you know... You can, you can move to that system pretty quickly. The yep. existing homeowners, you transition much more slowly because it's difficult. Very achievable. But it starts with getting the model right. The government is trying to solve the wrong problem. It's creating entities it wants to use as vehicles to reward friends. That's, that's fundamentally not helpful. Um, right, so who are the winners then? Um, I mean, we've heard a lot about the, the, the losers, I guess. Who, who's set to gain from this proposal? Well, whoever has influence over how these powerful new entities, you know, these will have $10 billion plus balance sheets each. Awful lot of clout. Uh, and it looks like they're going to have, uh, the boards are going to have fairly liberal, you know, term or description of what they're supposed to be achieving in the legislation. That's going to give them discretion and therefore power. So the winners are whoever gets influence over over that balance sheet and i think the government's been reasonably clear about who he wants who it wants those people to be in one way what the government announced this week is a little more honest than something else that they could have done what i was scared might happen was a uh, nationalization through stealth where the government would give an offer that councils couldn't refuse if councils didn't want to come in central government could just say that's fine, you don't have to, but we're now we're setting a water quality standard that'll be impossible for your council to meet yep. without tens of billions of dollars of costs, so you're not going to be able to do it, so you're going to just have to, you're going to want to give it to us for nothing to avoid that terrible cost. Mm -hmm. They could have done that, and that would have been more dishonest. One of the big selling points uh, in the government's adverts on the Three Waters proposal has been water quality. One of the big catalysts for this push has been, uh, as Eric mentioned before, the Havelock North outbreak. Um, are they just a bit naive in thinking centralisation will solve these problems, given that the Ministry of Health was in charge of, of water quality at that time? Well, the government uh, is separately addressing the water quality issue. It's established a new national water quality regulator. Uh, legislation uh, passed for it a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, so that's separate to these new entities. These new entities will be regulated by that single body. Frankly, nothing to suggest that this new entity isn't going to be more, much more effective than the previous hodgepodge system that nobody particularly complied with and clearly let folks down at Havelock North more than once, uh, as well as elsewhere in the country. So um, water quality is absolutely part of the story, it's being dealt with separately um, uh, through this new body, and that's uh, not part of today's announcement. Governments sometimes fail. Local governments sometimes fail, but local governments don't have a monopoly on failure. I mean, when you just look at how the government handled the pandemic and MIQ, all of these were central government failures. And um, I don't think we should expect that um, in the future the whole system will work flawlessly once we've got uh, more central structures in place. Right. Thanks very much for joining us, gentlemen. Uh, really interesting discussion about the Three Waters proposal, and I guess we'll have to keep a very close eye on what happens next. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stay up to date with our latest research, opinions and events. Sign up to our weekly insights newsletter at nzinitiative.org.nz.